Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're going to take a look today at Matthew chapter 24, and we'll begin our reading in verse 1. Matthew chapter 24, we are in the Olivet Discourse at this point. As a matter of fact, he is on his way over to the Mount of Olives. If we look at the Passion Week, remember on Sunday he came into town. On Monday he cleansed the temple. On Tuesday, he went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. On Wednesday, we're not sure what he did. On Thursday, he washed his disciples' feet. On Friday, he was crucified. On Saturday, they posted the guards. On Sunday, they fired all the guards. Amen. So we're going to go back and look at Tuesday. Now, Matthew sort of takes us back a little bit. He always gives us a little more than does Mark. In Mark's account, we just find Jesus over on the Mount of Olives, but Matthew has him leaving, and he tells us a little bit about the conversation as Jesus left with his disciples to head over to the mountain. Let's read together. Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. For many are, you will be hearing of wars. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. We, I want to pause here. We always see these things and say, oh man, it's, Jesus said all this would happen in the last days. He, he's not mentioned the last days. He said there's a lot that has to happen. If you're like me and you're a realist, And you wonder sometimes, after 2,000 years, did we get something wrong? Well, we kind of did. We didn't listen to Jesus. Because his disciples thought, well, if the temple's going to be destroyed, then you got to remember, for them, that would have been the end of the world. They can't imagine a world without it. That's all there is. The Jewish temple's not here. Are you kidding? It'll be here when the earth is gone. Matter of fact, in Jewish apocalyptic writing, when they would write stories like we read in Revelation, where the Jewish people were triumphant, in the revelation we have in Scripture, Jesus Christ is triumphant. But in their apocalyptic writings, the Jewish nation was triumphant. And they would say in those writings that the temple of God would stand forever. Jesus says it won't. But he said, there's a lot that has to happen. A lot that has to happen. Oh, yeah, it would have been cool if he'd have mentioned the space shuttle and all of that. 
Yes. But he's not there with this. He is just trying to tell his disciples, don't let someone mislead you. Because if you do, church, if you do cornerstone, you'll be thinking after 2,000 years, we must have missed it. Maybe he's not coming back. He says, oh, I'm coming back. Don't be misled. It says, and at that time, uh, well, I think I'm at verse 9, right? Yeah. You know, you got an awesome pastor when he has to ask you. Where is he? I may run for president. I'm in enough trouble. Okay. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. He said this is not the end. It's just the beginning of the birth pangs. And then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I entitled this Jesus' final sermon. There's a lot of things he will say. Uh, some he will say after the resurrection, but before the cross, this would be his final sermon. He's over on the Mount of Olives, and he is teaching his disciples. It really is amazing to me that in Ezekiel, and I forgot the reference, but in Ezekiel it says that the day would come when the glory of the Lord would leave the temple and move over to the mountain to the east. And the mountain to the east is the Mount of Olives. And the glory of the Lord is his son, Jesus Christ. He's over there, and it's Tuesday. He's teaching them. His first sermon he ever preached, if you remember, was pretty simple. It was one word, and it was the word repent. His final sermon, if we read the entire Olivet Discourse, I suppose you could entitle, Hey, You Ignored the First One. Because a lot of people didn't repent. A lot of people in our world today couldn't even imagine Jesus having his open sermon on his very first sermons, repent. Yeah, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the first sermon Jesus preached. You can look in Matthew, you can look in Mark. His first sermon, one word, Repent. That means we are sinners. That means we have issues. It means all those things that we don't like. But he tells his disciples, he says, and man, this is such a great word for us because they're struggling with this whole business. When he tells them the temple is going to be destroyed, that absolutely blows their mind. But for even for you and I today, after it has been so long, what a great word of encouragement. He says, I know where you are, Cornerstone. He doesn't say this to the disciples, but he does say it to us. Don't let anybody fool you. There's going to be some time go by. There'll be a lot of things happen. And then after tons of things have happened and years have passed, that will just be the beginning of the birth pangs. But believe you me, there will be a day of the Lord. I will be back. The day of the Lord for the Jewish people was something they always believed in. They misinterpreted it, kind of uh, personalized it, so to speak, because they believed that there was this age and the age to come, and in the middle was the day of the Lord. And they believed in the age to come that the Jewish people would rise together with the Messiah 
And they would overthrow the world and they would lead the world and the Jewish nation would be dominant over all the other nations in the world led by their Messiah. And just to let you know that they did not listen, in 132, 132 A.D., Bar Kokhba, his name means in Aramaic, son of the star. He started a war. It's pretty famous in history, actually. Hadrian was the emperor at the time. But in 132, he started a war. you got to remember, Jerusalem's already been destroyed. Titus, the Roman general, has already destroyed the temple. But rising up is this guy named Bar Kokhba, the son of the star. And he claims he is the Messiah. And the Jewish people that are around there fall in behind him and attack the Romans because they believe finally, not that Jesus guy that went around talking about our sins was our biggest issue and all that eternal focus that he had. We finally have a Messiah that understands where we are and what we're going through and we're getting behind him And we're going to whip the Romans. Would you like to know how that turned out? Not too well. It's because he didn't listen to Jesus. They didn't listen to Jesus. And Bar Kokhba misled them. He said there will be some come. They'll come in my name. And some will claim that they're me even. And then later he says there will be false prophets. And, 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 and we don't have too many nowadays who claim they're Jesus outside of asylums. But we do have a lot of false prophets in our world today. All of this will happen. He will come back. It won't be Bar Kokhba. It'll be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it won't be like everybody wants it to be or plans on it be. But there will be the day of the Lord. Now, nowadays we, we have the day, it's not the day of the Lord, it's the, it's, it's the day of self. It's the day of subjective truth. You have yours, I have mine. Uh, we can get along and embrace each other's differing ideas concerning God and it's just all cool and wonderful. Today is the day of individualism. No matter what, no matter even gender or anything, the the things that are carved in the very granite of reality, none of those things are safe because today is the day of individualism. And you can be whatever you say you are. Identify however you choose. But in this day that's coming, it will be the day of the Lord. It will be the day of the Lord. No doubt about it. I want us to take a look at some things that he says to us here. Important things. When he tells the disciples, and the disciples, you notice, they're stunned by these buildings. These are country boys. They don't get to go to town a lot, you know? Really, they're up in Galilee. They have a thick Galilean accent. That's how they knew something was up with Peter the night Jesus was arrested. They said, yeah, you sound like a Galilean. It would be like me going to Long Island and telling, hey, y'all, I'm from here. You "You don't sound like it. You sound like you're from Galilee. These were kind of farm boys, fishing boys, working men. But they got to go to town and they were stunned at the buildings. And no doubt you would be stunned. I mean, you're looking at a temple that's got cornerstones in the corners of the walls that are 20 foot by 40 foot and weigh as much as 100 tons. And how they put them in place is still a mystery. It's incredible. In the naos, remember in the temple there was the Hieron and the naos. The Hieron was all the temple courts and all the temple area. So you read a lot about people going to the temple. 
But the naos was the holy of holies. That's where God came down and met. That was the temple. You remember the tabernacle before that was the mobile version of it. Later it would be the temple. But that's God's portal into this earth, okay? That is the portal of God. That's how he came and visited with his people. So now Paul tells us that our bodies are the temple because where does Jesus dwell now? Not in temples made by hands, but he lives in us through his spirit. So that temple is obsolete. And But when Jesus told his disciples, you see all of this, it will be gone. Not one stone left upon another. It will all be destroyed. They are absolutely blown away. As a matter of fact, if you don't think that statement was powerful, they will bring it up twice this coming week. They'll bring it up at his trial and they'll bring it up again when he's hanging on the cross. He said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And they were so stupid. They were thinking, oh, so he's got him and these 12 morons of his are going to come out here and tear the temple all the way down and rebuild it in three days. And they even made the comment, Herod's been working on it for 40-something years, and he died and didn't get it finished. They had no idea that the portal that God was using then to come into this earth had been born in Bethlehem and was standing right there in front of them. And they were nailing him to a cross. No idea. Let's talk about this final sermon. I think you and I can relate to it well. First of all, Jesus warns in his final message that the time is coming when there will be great dismay. We talked about a lot of that already. The temple being destroyed, that, that just boggled the mind of the disciples. But if you go back to the previous chapter, in chapter 23, right at the end of it, in verse 38, it says that Jesus was leaving that area and uh, leaving the temple behind, and he talks about its relevance and purpose of God. But in verse 23, uh, 38 of chapter 23, Jesus says to them, this is after that famous saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would love to gather you together under my arms like a chicken gathers her uh, little chicks up under her. But you were not willing. It wasn't me, but it's you that you were not willing. But he looks at Jerusalem in verse 38 and he says, Behold, your house is left to you desolate. You have a temple, but you don't have a God. God has left the building. And it won't be long, and the, t- the building itself will be on the ground. And in A.D. 70, it was destroyed, totally destroyed. So it was days of great dismay. I mean, they just absolutely couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that the temple, something that they thought would always be there, was going to go away. And, and, and how can this be? And, and I know even nowadays, uh, we, we think of our churches and, and what we do in these buildings that we have nowadays. We think, oh my goodness, if something happened to that, Boy, it would just be devastating. I, I have to tell you, if the Lord tarries his coming long enough, think about it. No church has survived. No individual congregation has survived forever. Every church at some point is going to die. If you just look at history, that is the reality of it. And if you look around Rutherford County, you will see a bunch of them that they're kind of in those birth pangs now. They, they're down to about 10, and uh, they have about five more birthdays, and, and they're, they're going to have less than that. And, and churches come and churches go. But listen, this is a building, the kingdom of God, and the preaching of the kingdom of God, that's what we have to be about. So if this building is gone tomorrow, this order of service, this coming together here it can go away tomorrow but God's word and God's people and God's church is going to survive because it was built by God himself and he said even the gates of hell cannot prevail against that so don't get so caught up in things great dismay 
Secondly, great deception. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will mislead many. If you look at the scheme, it says that many will come in my name. And they're, they're not maybe saying all of them that I'm Jesus. No, they just come in my name. And they pretend to be serving me. And they pretend to be representing me. But they do not represent me. The things that are preached from their pulpits are not things that you find in Scripture. It's not what the Word of God says. Their teaching and their preaching is different than what Jesus said. And 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 so he says, many will come though, and they're in my name, and they will pretend to be laboring for Christ. And and boy, in our emotionally charged world where truth and all of that is so iffy, there's so many churches that just buy right into whatever it is People are preaching. That's their scheme, their successes. He says, yeah, they will mislead many. Many. Where are those many? There are many people that are misled. But in our world today, again, it's so murky. We, we, we go, well, you know, maybe the Jehovah's Witnesses believe things different than we do. But I work with one. She's as fine a person as I've ever met in my life. You from Galilee, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. See how we love that camaraderie and we don't stand, we don't have any clear lines drawn. Even as to what it means to be a born again child of God, we act like, well, there's tons of ideas about how all of that happens and who's saved, who's not saved and all of that. We just leave that up to the Lord. God called us to just love everybody. That's, that's what he wants us to do. And, and, and so that's just what I'm going. Really? Where did you read that? We are to love everybody. Love them enough to tell them the truth, though. Love them enough to tell them the truth. He says they're going to mislead many. And, and, and I can tell you, we live in a world where people are so misled. We gravitate toward those things that feel good to us, that, that bolt right up to us. We even say stupid things like, boy, that's my kind of church, or that's my kind of preacher, or boy, I tell you right now, that, that's, that's my kind of worship right there. That's my kind of singing right there. Boy, that just, it, I tell you right now, that, that just lifts me up right there, buddy. It should lift God up. That's what we have to make sure we understand. This is not our house, it's God's house. So if the preaching doesn't reflect God, who cares if it reflects you? I'm not trying to be mean about it, but it's not about you. And it's not about me. But in our world today, we, we tend to migrate toward those, oh, we get this new book from uh, Miss Whizbang, and she's got this study, and I did it, and I just, oh, I feel, oh, so free, and, and I've discovered my own truth now, and I'm just, oh, I just couldn't be happier. And I'm almost angry at those churches that preached to me all those years and were so dogmatic about the Word of God. I will not apologize but I will keep preaching the truth. There'll be a time of great disasters. Number three, verse seven, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. This earth itself is is cursed. We do have famines. We do have earthquakes. We have hurricanes. We have horrible things that happen. This earth was cursed by sin. Cursed is the ground. Jesus told Adam and Eve that. They didn't have hurricanes in the Garden of Eden. But they do now. We have them everywhere. And the earth is cursed. And yeah, I I believe in global warming. I know that's a thing. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that it is happening. My doubt is how much we can do about it. And for people that really care about pollution, I tell you, I ought to probably do some traveling. When you get on a plane in India, anywhere in that country... You know how the old plane goes down the runway? By the way, when you get on a plane in India, that's a lot different than getting on a plane to India. Bruce could say amen to that. He didn't, but he should have. Bruce and I got on some planes that if you look closely, 
you could see where it had been painted over three or four times. It used to belong to this airline, and that belonged to that airline. As a matter of fact, we were sitting on the tarmac one time, ready to take off, and a guy got on the plane with some tools and went to the back of the plane, worked on something, and then came back. Man, that's, I don't think they'd do that on American Airlines out of LaGuardia. He's like, I got it fixed. Wow, good. I was glad you tightened up that wing. Cause. But when you get on a plane over there, if you still are able to open your eyes at that point, about the time the tires quit rumbling on the runway and you realize you've lifted off, you can count about five seconds and you cannot see the ground. And I'm talking about broad open daylight. It is so full of smog and pollution. And there is the constant smell of burning garbage everywhere you go. China is even worse. I know in America it's a political football and all of that. I think we ought to take care of our planet a lot better than we do. I really do. I think we have, God has given us that. He put us over that. That was a responsibility that he gave to Adam. But, but, but turning it into political leverage, I can tell you, if I, I forgot the numbers, but if America did away with all of its fossil fuels, the percentage of pollution that would be eliminated is almost indiscernible. Because nobody else is trying. Our world is a tough place. Disease, all kinds of things. Who would have thought cancer and COVID and all of these things could be so detrimental in, in our society? It, it's amazing. There's a quote. It's anonymous. I don't know who said it. But humankind, he said, despite its artistic abilities, sophistication, and accomplishments, owes its existence owes its existence to a six-inch layer of farmable soil and the fact that it rains. With everything we got going on, if it wasn't for six inches of topsoil and rain, we could not exist. We ought to take better care of it, but we live in a world, he said, there'll be great disasters. Number four, great danger. Great danger. The method is they will deliver you to tribulation. The measure is they will kill you, and the motivation is because of my name. They will deliver you to tribulation. They will do horrible things to you. Then they will even kill you. That's how far they will go, and it will all be because of my name. Now, this is almost confusing to us in America because we're like, really? Where, where is this tribulation? We, we, he even says in here that all nations will hate you we don't hardly have anybody hating us we're the church here in america who hates us ah yeah i know there's a few that that would stand and say that they do but for the most part we usually get along pretty well let, let me just say this i believe that christianity and what it has become is probably not a threat to anybody biblical christianity is a threat but remember, Jesus says, it's my followers that will be hated. Not necessarily people who claim to be Christ, because he's already said, some are going to come in my name and they're full board deceivers. But we have a world of people here in America that are what we would call, and they would call, and they would embrace this. Progressive Christians, they're more open-minded about things. If they lived in China, I doubt they would get in much trouble, because they've already decided, one, Christianity, or at least theirs, is a religion, okay. Religion is personal, okay. And how you feel about things is private, keep it to yourself. All of that, you're going you're gonna to have a great time in China, let me tell you. They're never going to lock you up, and you're never going to get in trouble. Nobody hates us because we don't give them a reason to hate us. And I know that sounds crazy, and I'm not telling you, go out this week and make sure you come back next Sunday with somebody that hates you. They have no reason to hate us. 
We talk about these Christian pastors in India today. We're praying for Samuel. We usually pray for Nageshua. Always like it when his name's on the list. I like to watch Mike announce that. <laughs> Nageshua Rao is one of our pastors. Right before I met him in India, they beat him nearly to death. Why, aren't some, why isn't somebody beating us to death? Even, well, we say, well, we don't live in India. Even if most Christians in America, listen to this, lived in India, they would get along just fine. Oh, the Hindu people, they're so beautiful. Have you seen their temples? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. And they have all these different gods. Now, they see things different. But I did notice, and you will, when you go into the Hindu temple, guess who they have a statue of? That's right. They got Jesus in there. Now they got 10,000 more, but he's in there. That counts for something, right? They're like us. They just have a different belief system. And, and over there, the government, this is why you get in trouble preaching biblical Christianity, because over there the whole government is built on Hinduism. It's built on the caste system, and that there are some people that are untouchables, and there are some people that have Brahmin status and all of that, and it's infiltrated into the government, and the whole place is governed like that. And when you start preaching about Jesus and telling those untouchables that in Christ you are not untouchable, but God loves you, and you are in his sight precious as anybody else, and he loves you and he wants to give you eternal life and you don't have to do some ritual to please him or to make him love you. He just loves you. Go over there and preach that and they will kill you. But we're not going over there to preach that. We're going over there to get along. To fit in. As a matter of fact, fitting in and getting along is a hallmark of progressive Christianity. I, 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 Jesus says they will hate you. Well, we must be doing something wrong if they're hating us. No, he said, well, no. They hated me first. What did Jesus do wrong? Nothing. He says there will be a time of great disloyalty. He said people will betray one another. I don't know of a time where we've had more betrayal in verse 10 than ever. Marriage. It just comes and goes. Membership, all of that stuff in a church means very little. We were talking with the men Wednesday night about baptism. Baptism almost means nothing. It, it just People don't even realize how important baptism is. In our culture, again, and I know you like, well, pretty sure you're kind of hard on the culture. Well, God's Word's kind of hard on the culture. Here, baptism is a photo op. Grandpa, grandma, come. Everybody get on the front row. Get the computer down. We can't take pictures. I got all that. I don't mind that. The problem is we look at it as it's almost like a, I don't know, a bar mitzvah. It's not much more than that. It's, it's, a, it's a little rite of passage kids go through. And then a lot of denominations, they baptize them as infants. It's called pedo-baptism, not believer's baptism. And and the parents make a confession of faith on by half of the child. That happens in the United Methodist Church. You don't have to go to the Catholic Church for that. It's part of the salvation. He's got first base already taken care of, and he's not but that long. None of that's biblical. In the New Testament, when you were baptized, friend, it was a line in the sand. And it said, I am not turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Sundar Singh tells us that the man that wrote those words and sang those words for the very first time was singing one verse when they killed his wife. He kept on singing. He sung the next verse as they watched him kill his children. And he kept on adding verses to it until finally they killed him. That's where that song came from. It was a line in the sand. No turning back. I told the men about Dr. Goh. 
Dr. Go, some of you who went to India with us the first time, you remember her? Dr. Go, she was a, a, a lady there that was a doctor, and I remember her testimony. She talked about when she got saved, her parents were Hindu. And what happens a lot of times when you turn to Christianity is your parents will poison you to death. That's one way of getting rid of you. They have lots of other ways, but that's one of the quickest and one of the, I guess, easiest ways. But they didn't fully reject her at that point, but they did tell her this, because Hinduism is so much about ritual. Dr. Ghost said that my family told me that as long as you don't get baptized, we won't disown you. And she says, I didn't for a while. She said, the day came, and I'll paraphrase her words. I don't remember them, but she basically said, the day came, I need to draw a line in the sand and tell the world, no turning back. Mom, Dad, I love you, but I'm a follower of Christ. No matter what it cost, I died before I came. I follow you. That's what baptism is. Go to China and get baptized and let them find out about it. It's not a photo op. It kind of is for them because they have cameras everywhere, really. They're watching people. And, man, it's, they, they have devices. Boy, this, this should bother us when we hear about, oh, we've got little gadgets on the car now that tells us if we slam on the brakes or just put on the brakes real easy do you know a lot of your cars have that oh yeah and you can get apps now for get cheaper insurance i like to put one on my wife's car just to see what they'd say they think man that thing was stolen and robbed a bank you know she just went to the store In China, they got little gadgets that tell them how many times your front door opens. Oh, they're a little ahead of us on it. They got little gadgets that tells them exactly where you go. They got cameras on every street corner. They know exactly where you are. And let me tell you this. The Uyghurs are a group of Muslim believers China has them in what we once called concentration camps. They call them labor camps. China says they're not really labor camps. They're re-education camps. We've heard that word before, right? They have at least 12 million of them. You remember we said we'd never let that happen again, didn't we? They can't get rid of the Uyghurs because they're making Nikes. So our NBA can whine and moan about made-up atrocities they see here in America while they wear their shoes made by the Uyghurs. Now, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't also tell you They make a lot of stuff for Apple, too. Man, we just don't know, friend. Jesus said, get ready. It's coming. It's coming. It's amazing. Number six, time of great disregard. He says, lawlessness will increase, so the love of God for God will grow cold for many lawlessness though will increase we preached this passage in a series of sermons in Matthew uh, going through the book of Matthew back in 2016 and I found in my old notes that in 2016 Chicago doubled the police force or doubled the crime fighting force I'm not sure exactly what the numbers were the next year the crime rate doubled as well 
it, it's, it's hard to stop it. Now, I don't think defunding it's going to help anything, but we live in a time of lawlessness. My goodness, it just absolutely people do whatever they want to do. This week, uh, the, remember the girl Gino Vesey? Gino I forgot how to say her name, I'm sorry. Years ago was raped and I think murdered. Uh, where was it? Some big city and people saw it. Was, it, was, uh, it was famous. It's a famous story. And it was famous because I forgot how many people, 35, 40, 50, 60 people heard it going on and did nothing. Just this week we had someone or maybe last week that was raped on a train and people filmed it with their selfie cameras and did nothing. I forgot how long it went on, but a long time. Did nothing. I'm kind of keen on that Marine. I don't know if you saw him or not. Somebody walked in with a gun and pointed it straight at the cashier, and the Marine just turned around with two big Gatorades in a plastic bag. He grabbed a gun, turned it straight up, and knocked the guy's head just about slam off with two big Gatorades. You'll have to just forgive me. Oh, gets me a little excited. Well, the guy had some backup, but that's what they were doing, backing up. We don't have much of that anymore. We have lawlessness. Lawlessness. He says it'll come. We, we, we should see that and know, know that. We have people today that have that militant disposition that I will do what I want to do. And it's my body. It's my life. It's, it's whatever it is. It doesn't matter who it affects. Leave me alone. Number seven, there'll be a great defection. He says most people's love will grow cold in the latter part of verse 12. Most people's love will grow cold. They won't care about God and the things of God like they used to. Look at our churches. Man, all we needed was COVID to come along, give us a little change up in the schedule, uh, kind of knock us out of our routine. And I can tell you, now we're begging people to, to please come back to church. And, and some of them, God healed miraculously and did awesome things in their life. But, and, I, and I'm not... I know some people are afraid. I got that. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just telling you that our churches are suffering the coming together of the people of God. And, and, and I don't worry about it a whole lot because Jesus, one, he said it's going to happen. And he said the reason that it's happening is because their love has grown cold. Their love for him. Number eight. There will be a time of great distinction. Verse 13, he says, Though the ones who endure to the end will be saved. Is he denying eternal security there? Is he saying that you possibly could lose your salvation? No. What he is addressing is not can I lose it, but do you have it? The ones that have it will endure to the end. There are the ones that are, have been saved or being saved and will be fully saved through glorification one day. Uh, we teach all of that in our new members class. And by the way, we're planning on doing one before long. But we teach all of that because it's such a biblical, powerful biblical truth about our salvation. But the ones who truly know the Lord are the ones that are going to endure to the end. I wonder how long you can hang in there without knowing the Lord. I'd say in most of our churches in America, probably a long time. Oh, we've kind of carved out a spot for people that claim to know Jesus and don't live like it. We call those humans. Oh, none of us are perfect. No, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about does my life reflect Christ? 
Can I look at my life and can others look at my life and see that there has been a transformation? Not that you do everything exactly right. We understand that. We fail God every single day. But do you have the Spirit of the living God inside of you producing things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is that coming up in your life? Is that, is that what we're seeing planted in your life? Is it growing? It's a great question. He says, those that truly know me, he says, they will make it to the end. And then last of all, it's a great declaration. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then, the end will come. Gospel of the kingdom. That's a radical idea. Jesus tried to help us some in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you're part of the kingdom of God, you might still be living on the earth. You might live next door to people who are part of the kingdom of the world. You might even be closer than that. You might be married to one. Really? You might be a child that's, you met Christ. Your parents are still in the kingdom of the world. I see it all the time. You, you, there, there might be all kinds of things. You might have family all around you. They're part of the kingdom of the world. You might be a born-again ch- child of God, but you have children. You pray for them all the time, and they break your heart because you're part of the kingdom of God, and they're part of the kingdom of the world. And Jesus said there's such a difference. And, and, and he says one, and he starts out in the Sermon on the Mount, he says you have a total different system of values. What's really imported in the kingdom and the world is not at all imported in the kingdom of God. He said, in the kingdom of God, blessed are the meek. Well, meekness won't get you far in this world. Meekness will get you run over. Meekness, man, will get, they'll, they'll, they'll take you apart. They'll take advantage of you. Stand up for yourself. <laughs> well... Jesus said, no, in the kingdom of God. He said, the meek wind up inheriting all of it. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers, not the ones that will let you know in a skinny minute exactly how they feel about it. He said, no. Blessed are the peacemakers in the kingdom of God. For they'll be called the sons of God. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. It's not like you went off somewhere and got yourself in trouble. But if you're persecuted for my name's sake, he said, in the world that would look like a bad thing. He said, in the kingdom of God, it's a good thing. You see, if you're a born-again Christian, we live in the kingdom of God. I know we're still on this earth. Jesus says you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And he says the day will come. It's called the day of the Lord. I'm going to come and clear it all up. I'm going to take evil to task. And I'm going to put an end to it. I thought about this. It sounds almost like what Jesus is telling us is when I grab evil by the arm and start dragging it toward its death, when I'm ready to put old Satan himself in the bottomless pit. I like that word. Abusas. Busas is bottom. Ah, busas is like atheist, no God. Abusas is no bottom. When he throws him into that. It's almost like what you hear here here in this passage. All of the rough things that are going on and how the wicked are getting loud and proud and, and, and are hating and fighting and warring against God. It's almost like God is dragging wickedness straight toward the pits of hell 
And it's finally got close enough maybe to feel the heat, and it's kicking and screaming and hollering and dragging its feet, he says, but too late. One of these days, one of these days there will be no more evil. I'll do away with it. I'll do away with it. Your only chance of making it out alive will be to put your faith and your trust in me as your Savior. There's an illustration about the way to survive a forest fire is go where the fire's already burned. The only way to escape the fire of the wrath of God is to go where it's already burned. You know where it's already burned? At the cross. It's already burned at the cross. So that's where we go. And that's where we find salvation from the wrath that God's about to cut loose on this world. Man. That's his final sermon. We probably ought not to forget it. Let's pray. God, I I ask you right now to please help these words sink deep in our heart. God, I needed them. I needed them so badly this week for encouragement, God. Sometimes, Lord, when we look at this world, it just, God, it seems so dark, so dismal, so lawless, so loveless, so godless. But, Lord, this passage today, you've reminded us through it that you you know. You tried to tell us about it a long time ago. And, God, we, we do get concerned sometimes. It sure has been a long time since you you left and said you would be back. But God, you've helped us with that today as well. You've helped us to understand, God, today that there's a lot of things got to happen. And a lot of these cataclysmic things won't even mean that the end is, is near. But then the day will come when the end is not just near but here. Help us to be ready, Lord. I pray you'd help us, God, as we share that gospel, as we draw that line in the sand in our own hearts and lives, Lord. God, that it wouldn't be some private, personal thing. Baptism is visible. It's a public expression of no turning back. No turning back. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.